Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, can you believe that? Today is Cinco de Mayo. Do we know what it is? Well, it's a celebration held every year on May 5th. It is celebrated both in the U.S. and in Mexico. It originated with the Mexican-American communities in the America West area of our country as a way to commemorate the cause of freedom and democracy during the first years of the American Civil War. And today, the date is observed as a celebration of Mexican heritage and pride. So we have a star panel today, as usual, but before we get to them and talk about some hot topics, that basically is our show for today, I want to get to some uh, top real estate news that uh, I found interesting this week as I was doing my research for the program. Uh, New York City police have arrested a man in the killing of a real estate developer whose body was found in a trash bin. Police said that Kendall Felix was arrested on a murder charge in connection with the January 2nd abduction and slaying of Menachem Stark, a prominent member of an ultra-Orthodox Jewish sect. His body was found miles away from his home on Long Island. Stark has been described as an honest family man eager to help his neighbors and friends, but he also was criticized for keeping some of his buildings in major disrepair. Mayor Bill de Blasio has delayed the release of his flagship affordable housing plan, which he had promised to unveil by May 1st. The delay is to focus on his negotiations over a reported deal with the city's teachers union. This is the second time that Mr. de Blasio has delayed the release of a major report. That one was for plans for Hurricane Sandy rebuilding. The Chinese has outspent Russian buyers in acquiring Manhattan real estate for the first time, and the city's real estate brokerages are doing all they can to woo more of them, from hiring China-born brokers to taking classes on the business practices of the Chinese. We're going to talk a little bit about them later on as well today. Real estate brokers reportedly estimate that Chinese buyers are now the largest foreign buyers of Manhattan apartments, outranking Russians, Europeans, and South Americans. A growing trend in the real estate industry and here in New York City is the return of commission-advanced firms, companies that ease agents' cash flow crunch for a fee. There are a few companies in town these days providing such services. So whether the return of these commission-advanced firms is good, bad, or indifferent, that depends on your point of view. But proponents say the service might be a tad costly but beats the alternative of missing payroll, blowing a tax deadline, or bouncing a car payment. Rising home prices mean older homeowners are flushed with increased equity so they can buy new or second homes, but younger Americans find it more difficult to buy into the American dream of homeownership as prices outpace income growth. Across America, home prices are now on the high end of a historical relationship between median home prices and median family income, and young families will need to see faster income growth to save additional money to make larger down payments. Here's a good one. An 18-acre estate in East Hampton, New York, has been sold for $145 million, sources say, setting a record for the highest-priced residential sale in the nation. But the buyer seems to be a secret. The beachfront property on Further Lane with formal gardens and a pond was the dream house of Christopher Brown, managing director of the Tweedy Brown Company investment firm, and his boyfriend, architect Andrew Gordon. Interesting, I was uh, attended several parties over the years in that house. Absolutely beautiful. And a London penthouse in the city's famed One Hyde Park housing development for the super-rich has traded hands for a cool $236 million, making it the most expensive apartment in London 
and possibly the world, the sale makes the 16,000-square-foot two-story penthouse one of, if not the priciest of real estate on the planet. London has seen a surge in demand from super-rich Eastern Europeans as tensions in the regions flare. On May 14th, the New York Observer will publish their first-ever Brooklyn Power List in print and online. This list will be covered. The list will be the cover feature of the issue, and their regular columns will have all uh, Brooklyn theme. The Power List will identify Brooklyn's key players in real estate, technology, politics, education, art, culture, style, and beyond. And finally, StreetEasy, the closest thing to an MLS in New York City, has made its search engine free to the consumer. StreetEasy had been charging $10 a month for access to property data. The change in strategy came six months after Zillow brought the site. All right, so we are going to go to our panel today, this morning. We're going to talk about some hot topics. You know, people ask me throughout the week, what's hot, what's not, what's trending? What about mortgages? What about great neighborhoods? What about just about anything? What is a mansion tax and why do I have to pay mansion tax? What is flip tax? What is, you know, uh, New York City state uh, um, transfer tax. So we have our panel that are going to answer some of these questions and help us understand as we go through the mechanics of buying a home in New York. Joining me today is Peru Brombat from Core Group Real Estate, Justina Zika from St- uh, Spire Residential, Rachel Altshuler from Douglas Elliman, Niall Lundgren is president of his own firm, Dalian Realty, and Deborah Hoffman from Town Residential. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. The Upper East Side, long known for Park Avenue, Madison Avenue, royalty and stay-at-home stroller moms, is drawing millennials and childless working-class couples who've been priced out of the boroughs. Why do you think that is? I think that people don't realize how large the Upper East Side is. From Fifth Avenue all the way over to the river, it's twice the size of the Upper West Side, which means almost twice the number of housing units and many more diverse communities. Whereas closer to Central Park, you're thinking more of the stereotypes you just mentioned. But all the way over in Yorkville and all the way over by the river, there's a very different housing stock. These were more ethnic communities for a long time. And because we're New Yorkers, we want to be close to everything. It's further away currently from transportation. Most people don't want to be farther away from transportation, so it's a little less expensive And it's also become a little funkier. So the millennials are discovering it. The prices are much lower, and they don't mind walking to the subway. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, this term millennials, because, you know, when I think of of the age group of this uh, this group of folk, um, I would, you know, I would think that they would prefer to be downtown. So basically you're saying that the move uptown far east in some cases is from an affordability perspective? Definitely. Besides the affordability, you know, a lot of the, the millennials are, uh, you know, looking to start um, families. Some of the, the newer folks who are purchasing, um, you know, in the, you know, 28 to 35 age range, I think they're looking to start families and they, they see that, you know, somewhere that's a little bit quieter and not as active as downtown is, is, is the place to go. And, you know, having like, uh, you know, all the way by the river, the parks on the east side where they could, you know, bring um, their, their children with strollers and they're, they're thinking in the future um, for, you know, a year or two down the line, you know, how they're going to be raising a family. And that's, and that's another reason why. You know, along those lines, um, so let me ask a question. You know, the Second Avenue subway line, because uh, 
<clears throat> Deborah had mentioned that you know a lot of these these areas on the far east side are quite a ways from transportation. Do you think any folk today are making decisions to purchase and or rent on the Upper East Side with the hopes that the Second Avenue subway line is going to be finished in in you know my lifetime? <laughs> Definitely, yeah, purchasing is, is attracting, um, uh, I would say, Upper East Side. The Second Avenue is expected, what, 2016, 2017 is when they expect to finish the construction. Um, so you have a lot of buyers that are attracted because of that. And then you also have owners now that are holding on to it a lot longer to wait it out. Renters, not so much. Renters are more short-term. So once the subway is, is there and complete, you'll find that renters are going to be flocking over to, to the east of 3rd Avenue area where the walk is really far. Yeah, and the younger buyers, I think, are not only looking at affordability, um, affordability for larger spaces, but are also looking at a longer-term point of view of the subway then elevating the prices in that area as well. Mm. Not that I want yeah. to be... Not that I want to beat the subway uh, system or development to death, but in all of your experiences, I know I, I, I've been recently up on the Upper East Side with a, a fairly expensive buyer. Does the construction and the noise and the, the, the not pretty looking Second Avenue these days hinder your efforts? I, I really don't think so. I mean, two years ago, if you were walking down Second Avenue, it was um, it was often a bit terrifying. You know, they would close off the streets and the blasting would begin and um, and ground the ground would shake, and then it was scary, and um, it didn't look very pretty. But now you almost get very little construction noise, um, and a lot of people are actually excited about the subway. They know the prices are going to go up, um, and a lot of the buildings along Second Avenue um, have already seen price increases. So I think for a lot of um, a lot of buyers, it's, it's a plus. For renters, again, um, I believe Deborah was saying it's, it's short term. So um, I don't think they really, really care that much. But for buyers, it's, a, it's definitely a perk. So guys, let me ask you this. You know, um, all of us as brokers out there with, uh, with buyers, regardless of where they want to buy, uptown, downtown, east or west, the most coveted lifestyle uh, is, you know, in an apartment is having outdoor space. You know, most of us uh, desire outdoor space because we live in an urban jungle. You know, um, what but, – but, you know, the cost of, of, of having that luxury – is in some cases exorbitant. How, how do your buyers feel about that? And what is so important to them about having this outdoor space? I feel like there's a specific buyer that absolutely loves outdoor space where other people are willing to compromise. And if there's outdoor space that's common to the building or if they're right by a park, then they're willing to forego their own personal terrace. Um, one of the rules of thumb, I think, that, um, that at least I help buyers think this through on is just in general, uh, if you look at the, the pricing of the outdoor space as about one-third to one-half of the interior space per square foot, it's at least a good rule of thumb to go by. Now, obviously, that varies depending on location and how beautifully a terrace might be finished out. Uh, but, you know, it is an amenity that, like you said, you know, when it's a great ability to be able to step out from your own living room or even your bedroom and have a little space that's almost like a, a haven where you can sit down and read a book and catch some sunshine. So depending right. on the buyer, yeah. and on top of that, just usually maintenance is higher on uh, or common charges are higher when you have private outdoor space. And so when, uh, when I'm taking out a buyer, I just point out, if you're not going to use 
your private outdoor space, it's not worth it to pay more, and especially if you're by a park um, and you can go outside and you're active. It may not be worth it to pay out so much more in maintenance or common charges. Well, I wanted to ask that question because you know, both of you bring up you know the parks, and you know I live close to Riverside Park. I have a small dog, so we're in Riverside Park. Of course, weather you know permitting most days for a quick or, or a long walk. So, you know, just like any other amenities that we have when we're looking for apartments, you know, bike rooms, door, uh, doormen, you know, gyms, etc., rooftop terraces, you know, when someone says to you, I want outdoor space and I'd like to have my own, you know, garden or my own terrace or my own balcony, and then you point out that there are the parks, you know, does do these people really ever use what I call an amen- this amenity? Because I know from experience, you know, that I've sold... Or whatever, and I ask people, you know, have you do you take advantage of your backyard? Nah, not really. We're always so busy. So I mean, it's I think I was about to say, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was about to say I think a lot depends on who the buyer is. There have been a few times over the years when I have been working with West Side buyers and East Side buyers, all the way up in the 80s and the 90s, Far East, where people want the outside space because they really want to garden but they can't necessarily afford the outdoor space. So I hooked them up with all the public gardening groups, both in Riverside Park and in Carl Schertz Park and John Jay Park, and they were thrilled. They were very excited that they didn't have to pay the extra costs, yet they were able to not only make a contribution, but do all the gardening they love to do. Guys, we're going to have to take a break, so stay there. But first, we're listening to uh, Good Morning New York on the Voice America channel. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back. So, um... 
let me ask about penthouses, you know, the, the flip side of outdoor space, which, you know, you find in townhouses, you find in, you know, first floor apartments, you also find in, you know, terraces on setbacks. Penthouse apartments, they seem to be attracting the uber wealthy, you know, and the high profile individual. Why all of a sudden? I mean, you know, I'm in this business 13 years and I've, you know, sold penthouses, you know, from time to time when they were right for families or individuals, depending on space or whatever. But all of a sudden, it seems to me that the uber wealthy, as we've talked about several episodes, you know, uh, the past couple of weeks, this is what they're targeting. And of course, along with that, the prices are out of control. What, what is, what's the thought on that? Well, Vince, um, it seems to me that, first of all, I mean, we can't escape the fact that penthouses are definitely a status symbol. Um, however, the more pragmatic considerations, I think, are that uh, the views tend to be fantastic in most buildings. Um, it, and obviously, the you know, views, outdoor space, ceiling heights, etc. Um, also, a lot of buildings tend to offer um, a higher, nicer finishing package, um, especially in the newer de- development that is sort of exclusive to the penthouse units or upper floors. Uh, so those things definitely add to the value and the understanding that other people who are also sort of status-driven are going to go for these spaces in the future and sort of pay any price at all uh, just to acquire that space. So I do think that the status part is a big component, but there are other relevant factors. On yeah, top I, of that, I, I also think there's a lot about privacy. Plays, play, plays into it for sure. But I think, you know, I just closed on a, on a penthouse down in Soho, and it was a kind of a raw space. And I think what, what's attractive about the penthouse is that there's potential to build up and put a roof deck or add value, maybe potentially buy FAR from the building and put a, you know, a, a little bit of a, a space up there where you could, you know, like a solarium where you could put plants or just have a nice place where you can relax and read um, or just have, in general, just a nice rooftop where you could put, um, you know, a grill and have outdoor space. So, again, there's, there's a value add to being on the rooftop, and there's, and there's extra potential. I think that's where, where buyers are looking now is, you know, the space is the space, but what can I do to add value? And, you know, specifically because the market is so hot for penthouses right now, if they do, you know, a change such as adding a, a roof deck or, you know, changing the apartment just slightly, um, you know, they have potential resale value down the line, uh, which they could realize, you know, significantly. Niall, just a quick question. I mean, you, um, I'm just curious. Did your buyer specifically ask you to um, show him penthouses or her penthouses, or is this just something that fell into, you know, the the requirements of what they were looking for? It was, it was the buyer was looking for a value add. So he, he was an architect and he was looking to add value any way possible. So I showed him townhomes as well. Um, and it didn't really have to do so much with outdoor space, but it was how can I take an existing apartment and then, you know, use my creative vision on it and, and then make something much better and then have potential for resale down the line. So we had to negotiate with the co-op um, the purchasing of three parcels on top of, of the apartment to, to buy the, the roof, the roofs, the square footage of the roof, um, which was kind of crazy. Uh, and, you know, co-ops are a little slow with that. They have to get their attorney involved. And, um, it, it, and to be honest, it, we had the accepted offer in October, and we just closed recently. So it was probably a six-month negotiation to get that done. But, you know, the, the buyer I was just over there the other day is extremely happy, and the, and the potential for value add is, is certainly there. And you mentioned FAR. Just for the listening audience, can you just briefly tell them what that is? That's a uh, floor-to-area ratio of, of the building, so that allows you to um, build up. 
So certain buildings, depending on if they, uh, you know, depending on the floor to area ratio and what zoning the uh, the building is in, there might be the building might be completely built or built full, um, which means that you can't go up anymore. Uh, meaning go up, meaning build more uh, stories or um, you know additional additions on top of the building. But there was FAR in this in this situation, so he ended up buying the roof parcels. There was three on top of directly on top of his um, apartment, and then there's FAR, which he's still negotiating to buy from the building, which then he'll add a little solarium on top to to add additional um, square footage to to the apartment for a, a complete value add. All right, so townhouses, you know. <clears throat> to contrast or compare, I mean, you know, again, with the uber wealthy, you know, people who have lots of money to spend, and also they want the the, the square footage. I just sold a ten and a half thousand, uh, ten thousand five hundred square foot townhouse on the Upper West Side, and it was really for this particular family about space, not you know anything else, but but because you can't really find that many you know ten thousand square foot apartments. Um, what about townhouses out there? Are you getting lots of people asking about those? Or how do they compare to penthouses with some of your buyers? I think it dep- depends who the buyer is. All of a sudden, we're seeing a number of celebrities or people who are bold-faced names in politics or something like that looking more at townhouses for the security. And also, even though we know co-ops are very strict and they don't want the paparazzi hanging out outside, condos are getting a little that way also. And... People just want their privacy. They want the security, especially if they're in politics or some kind of an ambassador. And a lot of these people are looking at townhouses right now in all neighborhoods. Yeah, I would agree. My person was a you know head of a company you know in, on Wall Street, and he just didn't want any nonsense or fuss in and out of co-ops or condos with doormen, etc. So I get that. You know, a lot of people ask me about mansion tax. You know, mansion tax has been around since 1989, and it's 1% of the purchase price of any property of a million dollars. You know, people still complain to me when we're, we're purchasing apartments over a million dollars. Why do I have to pay that extra 10000 or whatever? Because today, almost everything is a million dollars. It really isn't a tax anymore because we're taxing almost everybody who purchases in Manhattan. Thoughts from you guys on your, your buyers and what they feel or how they feel about this? Or do you see it changing? Vince, you know, it's, I think you sort of hit the nail on the head with the, with the fact that, um, you know, a million dollars does not buy a lot as far as property is concerned in the city. And um, it's especially with the current mayor raising taxes already on what is considered to be the wealthy, I think what really needs to be taken into consideration is the understanding of cost of living. Um, I know at any other part of the country, it seems, oh, well, if you can afford to pay a million, two million, five million dollars for a home, then you can afford X, Y, or Z extra taxing, taxation. However, the fact of the matter is, is that even at, you know, one or two or three million, uh, people aren't really living that extravagantly as far as what sort of a home that they can purchase. So I do think that there needs to be a sort of a reassessment of, of cost of living and the value of that compared to the home that somebody actually owns. Another interesting point is two bedrooms under a million are so in demand. And because of that mansion tax, because everyone wants to avoid paying that extra $10,000, you will find like crazy bidding wars, uh, you know, just so much pent up demand for anything between, I would say, 800 and 975, which usually mm-hmm. goes over a million in a bidding war. 
Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I, I, I sold my share of new development on site buildings, uh, Rachel, as you know, but and everybody always wanted to get the sponsor, the developer, me, whatever, to get whether it's a one or two bedroom under that that magical one million dollar mark. Sometimes they got their way, sometimes they didn't. It always came down to that additional ten thousand or twelve thousand dollar payment. So uh, I'm still seeing that in my business, you know, and and it's interesting because. In a, a, a world of very limited inventory, bidding wars almost on every property, it's almost impossible to avoid that. Even if something is priced at 950 or 975 or 980, it's going to go over with multiple bids, and then you get stuck with that, you know, that additional tax. Do any of you see um, or hear of any movements to? I mean, I have, you know, here and there through the years, but see, seeing how this may be changing at some point, raising. The purchase price to a million and a half, two million. Anybody? I mean, there has been talk at Revney. There's been talk in a lot of different places, but I haven't seen anything specific by way of the future of this mansion tax. Yeah, I haven't yeah. heard anything either. I did hear something about the mayor increasing the mansion tax in the near future, mm-hmm. but I'm sure that's going to be a big fight. Yeah, uh, he wants to offset the the costs for like 200 affordable units. Where he wants to raise the mansion tax above one percent, I think that's what I what, what I think what's been buzzing. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I heard that too. Yeah, same here. You know, for for those of you who are selling new developments out there, because of course there's really no negotiations with the sponsors today again because the the inventory is so limited, and new development is in demand. Do you find uh, any of your buyers trying to still negotiate <laughs> mansion tax? Oh yeah. <laughs> But maybe the only thing that I've seen being negotiated at all, and this is definitely not in any prime property or prime neighborhood, is perhaps the transfer tax. But even that is few and far in between. Transfer tax is another is another animal, and um, I'm going through that now with a co-op, you know, a situation. And the seller has decided. I'm representing both sides, and the seller has decided after negotiations um, that she wants to pass on the transfer tax to the buyer. So, of course, that changes the whole ground rules of the negotiations. It's an additional, I think, $27,000. And now the buyer is saying, no, that's not happening. And that's not part of the original deal. And I'm not paying, you know, her transfer tax, et cetera, et cetera. So it's interesting in a very tough, tight marketplace how people are trying to maximize their dollars. And by the way, you know, I'm able to get her probably $200,000 over the real value of that apartment and she still wants someone else to pick up or the buyer to pick up her um, her transfer tax. So, you know, it just there's never... A, there's a lot of ego involved with that, Vince, mm-hmm. as you know. Um, and I'm actually launching a development in a few weeks uh, up in Harlem. And I spoke to the developer and I said, just expect every single buyer to come in with a concession saying, I will come in at asking price, but I want the transfer tax or the attorney fee paid for it by the sponsor. And he said flat out, absolutely not, it's not going to happen, which means we work for the sponsor and we have to relate to every single buyer that no concessions will be paid and it must be at asking price. Yeah. and, and, and it, seems, just, it seems just, to be very important to just look at human psychology when it comes to these transactions. Um, I do feel that sometimes it is, I mean, being somebody just finished selling a new development, I would say that um, it, it is amazing to watch sort of the, the psychology at work and the egos at work, because ultimately nobody wants to feel like they were sort of held over a barrel. They, everyone wants to walk away feeling like they've won just a little bit. 
Um, yep. And I think that that's what sort of comes into play in terms of what uh, what we're discussing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. We're going to take another break. Uh, we will be back right after these messages. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back with Parul and Justina, Rachel, Nile. Deborah and J.P. Smith from Blue Realty is going to be joining us shortly. Um, thanks, guys, for being with us today. <clears throat> so Thank you, Vince. talk about what is happening out there in the marketplace. New York is a city of almost 8.5 million people, all of them just trying to get along. This is kind of interesting. So have any of your clients or friends mentioned um, who mentioned to you, you know, who they would prefer to live next door to, someone welcoming but intrusive or someone who doesn't even know who that, that you're alive or doesn't bother you on a day-to-day basis. I know I have encountered this, you know, from time to time. I'm a New Yorker. I live in a building where I probably have mm, five apartments on my floor and I talk regularly to two. The other three I probably see maybe three or four times a year. I'm finding, and maybe because of the hot marketplace, that buyers are saying to me, listen, I want to live on floors where people don't bother me. Do you guys hear that? I don't even know how to deal with that, actually. Uh, I do, Actually, recently I have a buyer. We're now in contract, but he's in a walk-up. He's retired, and he, for heart problems and other reasons, he just wanted a building with an elevator. And we found something on the ground level with a garden right off the lobby. And I said to him, are you sure that you want this? I mean, some people have issues being off the lobby, and he said, I have to tell you, I didn't want to tell you this originally, but 
I don't have to take the elevator and talk to people. This is the apartment of my dreams. And I laugh so hard. Well, this is really what it comes down to. I mean, we're bound by our strict fair housing rules, and we should be. So we keep saying who lives here, and half the time, we don't even know who, who's who. But when they say things like that, I think it really comes down to their individual personalities, not wanting to talk to people, not wanting to address mm-hmm. somebody in the morning or afternoon coming home. This is what I think it's about, but it makes it difficult for me anyway when someone says that. I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. But I'm beginning to hear about it a lot more often, and it makes the search, you know, that much more difficult. Um, you well, know what I found to be very helpful is um, just to – because we certainly can't answer certain questions when they have to do with, you know, race and gender and ethnicity and all that. Um, that, uh, that what I just suggest to my buyers is uh, to sit – this hang out sort of in the lobby or near the building if they really care about the demographic of who lives somewhere and – feel like whether that's going to be for them or not, that's just sort of doing that or talking to a couple of people who are, you know, friendly people who live in the building who are willing to give them a little bit more of an understanding of the lifestyle of the building. I think that that's, that's a fair thing for them to do on their own accord, uh, but certainly not something that I'd ever want to caught com- be caught commenting on for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of times, too, what you see buyer, or your buyers do when you're in the elevator is you're, you might be going up the elevator and, you know, somebody stops on the 20th floor and then comes in and they're like, how do you like the building? They do that a lot. And then there's a little, little bit of a 30-second, 60-second conversation sparks up um, and, and your buyer either feels comfortable or, or not based on, you know, one person that they saw in an elevator. That happens frequently. Niall, did you ever... Yeah, I, I feel like that seems to be a little more of a reliable conversation in their minds as well because... Ultimately, as a broker, if I'm not living in the building, um, no matter how great of a relationship I have with the buyer, I'm still coming from an outside opinion. This way, I really get to hear it from the horse's mouth. But, Niall, let me ask you something. So have you ever run into, you know, a disgruntled resident in the elevator who said to your buyer, no, I don't like this building. You should not buy in this building and blah, blah, blah. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, that that has happened. And it kind of sours deals. And it's, you know, it's by chance. And it's by luck, and maybe they like the apartment, and you're going down, and you're on the 40th floor going down, and someone pops in on 38, and all of a sudden, you know, you have 38 floors to go all the way down. They're, you know, doing their laundry, and you're just sitting there like, oh, man, uh, you try and, like, interject and, you know, maybe manage the situation a little <laughs> bit. But that is, you know, something that certainly does happen, and it's, it's a risk. But I think more often than not, folks are, are satisfied with it, and it, and it helps you. It really does. And the funny thing with those moments also, though, is I think, you know, buyers are savvy. They understand that at the end of the day they heard one opinion, um, and that may not yeah. be enough data point in general. So we can mitigate that. But, yes, those moments are definitely not pleasant. Yeah, certainly not. Um, and, I, and I've been involved in that several times. Fortunately, they've all worked out positively. But, you know, you do your, your, your best song and dance. But, boy, I tell you. So, you know, location, location, location. Uh, that said, a great apartment um, is worth quite a bit too. So when it comes to the day-to-day reality of living in the city, would you rather live – and this is your buyers, of course – live in a, in a gorgeous apartment in a neighborhood you don't really care for or would you rather have a so-so apartment but you're in the neighborhood that you really just love? What, you know, That can be a 50-50 split I think sometimes when we're out there representing buyers. But what what is your take on that? Do you see a lot of one or the other? Yeah, one or the other. It's really case by case. Um, and most of the time, what you're 
your original search, how it starts usually is different than how it ends. And so a buyer will be so um, focused on location, and once they see the interior space and the building and the quality of the hallways and the lobby, they will eventually revise their search um, to compromise and say, okay, well, maybe I don't need West Village. Maybe I'm okay with Chelsea or Flatiron because it's still a great location, but I get a little bit more space or, you know, a a doorman building or an amenity that I, I thought I didn't need, but now I want. Or I, think what? Point. I think there's just a general education process. You know, you got to show the great location with the smaller size, and then you also got to show the, the, the one-off location, but the amazing apartment, and then, you know, just kind of walk them through the process. And then generally the buyers, they, they make the decision themselves, and they, they come to realize what they like, and, you know, can I really compromise on walking? three extra blocks or, you know, two extra avenues versus, you know, a smaller place that has no view um, that's in a prime location. And, and then the buyer makes their decision on their own. But it is a process, and it does take, you know, you know a couple times going out with them to really, um, to really do that. And you have to open them up to the idea that, look, we're just going to educate you and, and get out there and see a bunch of different options um, and, then, and then allow them to be, feel educated and then make an educated decision. What about lobbies? I mean, I still run into people saying to me, but I just can't live in this. I just can't live in this building. This lobby is terrible. You know, for years, my line was, you're not living in the lobby. You're buying an apartment in the neighborhood that you like. You happen to love the apartment. You know, they'll fix the lobby eventually. You still have that kind of issue with uh, building lobbies? I do. I do, especially because I sell a wide range of apartments and especially for first-time buyers. They're buying, you know, in the under a million range, and many times they bring their parents along. And the parents are usually the first ones to complain about the lobby. And when I say the same thing you do, Vince, about you're really not living here, usually the mother chimes in and she says, yes, but it's the first thing you see in the morning and the last thing at night. That's right. And, and there's nothing we can say. So it's six of one half dozen of another, really. So just to take a quick vote. So when it comes down to the buyers, is it really about the apartment being spectacular, or is it really the compromise of, of the neighborhood where I really live, work, you know, want to play after hours? You know, which which one really kind of wins on on this? I, I'm I'm sort of split, but I I still believe in my business anyway that location is winning out over the actual apartment. I agree you know, with you, I, I think it's that that most people. It depends. Sorry. I think so. Most of the people I'm working with are looking for newer buildings, turnkey apartments that are, you know, once the contract is signed, it's, it's uh, everything's moving ready. And I find that my buyers are more likely to up their budget or find another source of funding to live in the neighborhood that they want, um, rather than get a lower quality apartment. So I'm finding a lot of people just increasing their budgets um, once they get a better sense of what's out there in the neighborhood and they and they learn what the inventory is about, um, they'll increase their budget rather than switch neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think it's a mixed bag. Honestly, it depends on the buyer. Um, and since we work with so many different colors of the rainbow, um, I really think that, you know, different personalities opt for different things. I would agree, though, that the, the bright, shiny new buildings, I think, are really winning out. I see increasingly less and less people who want to do work or buy an older apartment. All right, guys, we have one more break to go before we uh, get into our last segment. So uh, we'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away.
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back. I want to just say thank you for everybody. We've got uh, our last segment, 13 minutes to go. Parul, Justina. Rachel, Niall, Deborah, and now joining me live in the studio is J.P. Smith from Blue Realty Group. Um, all right. So listen, if you if your buyers had to choose between a fixer-upper apartment, which could become their dream home uh, with enough sweat equity, of course, or a more expensive place that's turnkey, in this particular market, as we keep going back to, what tends to be their choice? Are they patient in wanting to do renovations because they want to create their – their dream dream home or they just want to buy someplace that's renovated you know clean sleek turn the key walk in and that's that what in this market i'm finding that most of my buyers are open and are seeking a fixer-upper so that sweat equity that you just mentioned um because the price per square foot is so high right now and the demand and inventory is low and all the things we're reading about um clients are looking for a deal so to speak and even though there isn't a deal they find that, okay, if an apartment needs a gut renovation and I can get it for, like, in a co-op under a 1,000 a square foot, um, they, they're so attracted to that. And as long as you manage their expectations with the contractors and, and pricing and, and when you deal with a contractor, you have to double your budget, you have to double the time, they're, they're willing to go through that process more than I found years ago. Well, here's a question too. Now, you know, with of course the the, the escalating uh, purchase prices out there, the cost of renovation or the cost of you know creating that dream home, the sweat equity, is also high. And for some first-time buyers, um, you know, do they have that kind of extra cash after closing to want to take on a project like that? Vince, I actually had not only buyers but renters putting money into 
properties, which is which was astounding to me because I've never seen that before in my life. I remember that. Just to remind me, what, what were they doing in that apartment? I remember. They, this. So it was, it was a gut renovation completely. The the owner completely fixed up this townhouse, made a multi you know multi unit townhouse, and um, the renter actually is putting money more money into it. He's he's landscaping the entire garden. He's replacing the door with, you know, a French door. And the landlord or the owner of this apartment is cool with that? He, I mean, they got along great, so it was – they had a similar personality, so it worked out well. And on the renter's dime? On the renter's dime, correct. Uh, you know, the, that that's extraordinary in, in the uh, on the rental scene, but, you know, uh, getting getting back to the, the turnkey scenario – are these people leaning more towards um, new development for turnkey oper- uh, opportunities or are they just looking for anything that's been renovated so they don't have to deal with that kind of work? I think it, it varies on their ve- imagination. If they have the – if they have that vision, they can see um, you know, the diamond in the rough, if you will, then yes. But some people, they look at the pictures. They can kind of figure it out and they, they see the floor plan. They're comfortable with that based, based on their experience. And their imagination, their vision, you know, I think that's a big factor. Any other comments on, on renovations? I mean, we talked about this when Kathy Hobbs was here a couple of weeks ago with, with you know, staging and, and decorating and renovations. But um, I'm finding, I think, it, uh, Rachel just said a little while ago that, you know, most people are willing to do that today. I see a lot of that. But I do see every once in a while somebody comes back and says, well, you know. With all the, the the price and the cost of everything else, mansion tax and flip tax and 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 you know uh, transfer tax, I'm not going to have the extra dollars to do this. So you know what, Vince, I really need to find a place that I can just close, maybe paint and move right in. I Hi, Vince. I'm working with a lot of people that are having that are looking for the turnkey apartment, like I mentioned before, that's renovated. Um, I mean, if we if we look at Manhattan, per, the price uh, the the purchase price is quite high, but it, sometimes it actually makes more sense to to buy than than rent because rents have increased so much over the past two years. But a lot of the buyers I'm working with are looking, you know, they're looking to rent to buy for maybe two or three years and sell after that and move out of the city to start families. So they don't want to invest all of this additional money to renovate um, just to sell anyway. So they're looking for something quick that'll be it's a clean slate. They can make it home for a few years. And then sell because they'd rather do that than you know spending all that money on rent. And I feel like a lot think, of people are heading in that direction. I think a reason why Manhattan is is attractive is because there's resale value in that. You know, there it's a it's a pretty legitimate uh, place to you know park your cash and realize value down the line. So you know, I just I, I think I spoke on that episode you know a couple of weeks back about um, I had an estate sale um, uptown and it was the part the place was completely a disaster. But, you know, I had a bidding war. There was over 12 bids on the apartment in, you know, less than five days of putting it on the market. Um, and it was incredible. I mean, I, was, I spent most of the day yesterday doing an architectural survey um, with, with the clients. We have the signed contract now. So, it, 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 I mean, the biggest thing that I think people are seeing is, is that they like Manhattan because it's insular um, in terms of pricing. It's, you know, it's not likely to go down. So they're willing to put that money in for down the line to realize the down the line um, value or, or, or change in price per square foot. Niall, on the heels of, you know, um, we, we just talked about having money and parking money, whatever. For the out-of-towner who wants, you know, their own slice of the Big Apple, New York City, a pied-a-terre could be the perfect solution. We talked about this, I think, a couple of weeks ago as well. But what should you look for when you're buying a second home in New York City? I mean, there are criteria, but what, what should you be looking for? 
a lot of people have to really understand first and foremost if because they, they see the co-ops at a lower price point than condos and they might get a little confused you got to find out if you're looking at a co-op you got to really find out if that co-op is pied-a-terre friendly and mm-hmm. if it's not then you really have to continue on your search and i know it might be the ideal apartment for you but if the co-op doesn't allow that then there's absolutely no play there um so it's obviously that and then you know the uh the condos that obviously those those are perfect for pied-a-terres. Who, uh, for the rest of the group, who actually is looking for pied-a-terre out there? I mean, empty nesters, people who, you know, live and work in Westchester, Connecticut, New Jersey, Long Island, and just want to have a, uh, a second home in New York City. Do they want to buy for their kids? Who in your business is, is actually looking for pied-a-terres today? I'm finding mostly people from the neighboring suburbs who are in their I guess 50s and 60s, whose children decided to make a home in the city. Plus, these people might have a subscription to the Philharmonic, or they all work in the city, and they might go to a Broadway show late one night, and they just don't want to go back to Nassau County. And plus, they're close to the grandchildren or the future grandchildren. A lot of these people are buying pied-a-terre, and sort of on the heels of what we were just speaking about with how the place is done, these people figure they have worked very hard in their life and they just want a place to park. They want it done, done, done. They don't necessarily want to fix her upper, which I find very interesting. Right. So um, how many, how many pied-a-terre buyers that you succeed with eventually turn into uh, longer term purchases. For example, I, my first apartment in the city many years ago was a pied-a-terre. I was living in Westchester, commuting into the city, uh, wanted a place for just what you explained, Deborah, you know, a couple of nights a week, entertaining clients, going to the theater, whatever, not necessarily wanting to make that train ride home. So I did that for about a year and then I realized, you know what? This is crazy. You know, I love my home in the, in the, in, in Westchester, but I think I want to convert this, sell this and now own a bigger apartment to live in. How often do you see that in your business? If you succeed in selling the pied-a-terre, how, you know, how often does it turn into something even larger? Or does it? It, it does. I've seen it a few times, but it takes time. A lot of it depends on the person's business or sometimes how old they are. I've had a few people who I sold them pied-a-terres in their late 50s, and 15 years later, they came back and said, we really want to retire here. But it took time. You know, they wanted to keep their home in Westchester because they had a pool. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm where I actually have a client right now that I sold a one-bedroom uh, part-time residence uh, recently on Riverside Boulevard. They have a fabulous home in um, Pound Ridge with a pool, uh, and they tell me in two years when their last child is off to college, they're going to sell that and buy a bigger apartment in New York City. I sometimes sit back and wonder, hmm, is that really worth it? I mean, after all this time spending your your time and days in the in the burbs with you know. Fabulous house, tennis courts, pool. Do you really want to live in the city? And when you do make that decision, can you make that that adjustment uh, fairly easy? And we're going to talk about that, you know, at greater length somewhere down the road because I think that's a whole story um, in itself. You know, my favorite question to all of you always is, what is trending in Manhattan right now? Any thoughts since last week's show or the week before? What's what's trending? Neighborhoods, buildings, price point, not. Long Island City for for me is what I'm seeing. I've, I'm starting to get tons of uh, referrals for Queens in general, but specifically Astoria and LIC. Well, I was going to ask you that too. Is 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 Queens the new Brooklyn? 
Yep, that's what we've been hearing. <laughs> you totally heard it, too. Um, yeah, and it, I'm from Queens, so I'm, like, laughing about it because I'm from there. And um, it's been a long time coming, I think. Um, Brooklyn is just priced out, and people are just wondering, do I go to Harlem? Do I go to Jersey City? You know, Long Island City. And so um, I had a buyer two years ago that went to Sunnyside. We were looking over in Sunnyside along the 7 train. So... All right. So the you know the question uh, to beg the question. So what what is that movement all about? You know, uh, is it price? Is it uh, desire to be someplace else? Is it uh, convenience? I mean, what what is driving that movement? You know, outside of the traditional Manhattan uh, neighborhoods to Long Island City, to Astoria, to wherever in Queens. Again, seems to be uh, outstepping the neighborhoods in Brooklyn. Well, I, I think, think you got to look financial. at it kind of on the, de- the developer level, right? You know, a lot of developers are priced out in, in terms of where they can buy in a price per square foot in Manhattan. Then they move to Brooklyn, and Brooklyn is looking competitive on that front as well. And then, you know, they're, they're moving to, to Queens because you can you could buy development sites at a lower price per square foot over there. And, and then they're putting up new, new condos or new rental buildings. And then, you know, that's, that's, that's really changing in, in, in allowing the flood of people to go towards, you know, Queens because they're not as expensive. The developers got in at a lower price per square foot so they can offer it to the public um, uh, a little bit lower and cheaper than, than Brooklyn. So I think, I think that's uh, a, a big, big reason why, you know, Queens is seeing that. Also, for the individual home buyer, I think for the first time since the financial downturn, people are feeling much more secure in their jobs. They have money, or they might be a family of four that have been sticking it out in an alcove studio for a really long time, and they want to start their lives. And they're looking around for where value is, where comfortable neighborhoods are, and even a little edgy or trendy. And that's what we're finding. That's what's drawing people out to these places. I mean, it's interesting to see what's happening not only in Queens, but also in, in areas of Brooklyn that I would never in a million years believe, only because I'm old enough and I've seen a lot in, in real estate and in just in New York City in general. But, you know, um, there are areas, Bedford-Stuyvesant, for example, where, you know, townhouses are now approaching $2 million. Yay. I mean, that's good stuff. And, and, and it's, it's fa- fantastic for the neighborhood. And just a year ago, exactly a year ago, I was working with a buyer who had a $500,000 budget for townhouses in Bed-Stuy, and we kept losing in bidding wars. Now, you blink, and the prices are a million. You blink again, it's a million and a half. And then you blink again, and now they're almost $2 million. And I have to say, it's really remarkable, and there's probably a lot of reasons for it. Mostly the lack of inventory, mostly the need for change. But in any event, I'm being told I'm out of time. So I want to just end with, you know, where do you live when New Yorkers meet for the first time? This is the second question they're asked because the first one is, what do you do? We are. And what we like. So next week, I'm going to ask the panel, where would you live in this town where we have Many options, whether it's Queens, whether it's Manhattan, or whether it's Brooklyn. So on the program next week, we're going to be talking to a very big real estate developer. Does 15 Central Park West ring a bell? Well, it does for most people. That's going to be a great show, so don't miss it. Um, we have uh, Justin Miser um, from last about two weeks ago going to come back to co-host with me. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific Time live on the Variety Channel here on Voice America Network. 
You can always catch the show later in the day or anytime on our website, voiceamerica.com. Remember, you can tweet me at Vince Rocco or find me on Facebook. Goodbye, everybody, goodbye, everybody and see you next time. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.